0: Daniel chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 2, because uh, that's where we left off. And we're going to go through verse 3 of chapter 12. I think as we work through this text, you're going to see that um, it really demonstrates this truth that we trust the only one who demolishes kingdoms and establishes kingdoms according to his good pleasure. Um as a result of who God is, as a result of the fact that God is omniscient, and we see that in the text, as a, fact, as a result of the fact that we know that he's omnipresent and that he's sovereign uh, and that he has a plan. And he has a plan not only for this life but for our life to come. Uh, you and I trust him. We rejoice in him. We worship him. If you remember, uh, Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 were all parts of one bigger vision. So Daniel chapter 10 is really Daniel's preparation to receive the vision in which he is um, overwhelmed by the vision. And as he's overwhelmed by the vision really what comes and comforts him is uh, the fact that God comes and tells him that he has a plan and that he can trust him and live in accordance with his plan. And so now God is going to actually reveal that vision uh, to him. Um, And we can look back at a lot of this vision uh, that's recorded in Daniel chapter 11, and as we look back at it, much of it is history. So we can look at the various details that are described in chapter 11, and we can go, oh yeah, we see that happening here, we see that happening here, we see that happening here. But Daniel did not have that advantage. And so as we look at it, there is a special privilege that you and I get to enjoy uh, looking at something that was prophesied uh, years in advance and being able to look back and see how God fulfilled his promises. He fulfilled what he said he would accomplish with various kingdoms and various rulers. Um, And so uh, while a lot of it is past, it's history for us, Um, The very end does then uh, skip us forward into what is yet future for us, and then also reassures our hearts and comforts our hearts by telling us that uh, God's plan for us is not complete, is not finished at our death, but rather that God has a plan to uh, be glorified through our lives, even into eternity. And so there's a lot of hope in the passage um, in seeing that God has accomplished what he said he would do, so many things, uh, that he will accomplish what he says he's going to do, and that he has a plan for us. And so I pray that this passage will encourage you, uh, and will remind you of various truth characteristics of our God, and then help you to um, better, better know him and to better serve him as a result. If you would take your copy of God's Word, and let's read together, uh, Daniel chapter 11, we'll start in verse 2, and as I said earlier, we'll be reading through chapter 12, verse 3. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth, uh, the fourth shall be far greater, far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with one with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided. Toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, not according to his dominion with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted, even for others besides these. Also, the king of the south shall become strong, as well as one of his princes, and he shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion, and at the end of some years they shall join forces. For the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an arrangement, agreement. But she shall not retain the power of her authority, and neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her, and with him who begot her, and with him who strengthened her in those times. But from a branch of her roots one shall arise in his place, who shall come with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north, and deal with them and prevail. And he shall also carry their gods captive to Egypt with their princes and with their precious articles of silver and gold. He shall continue more years than the king of the north. Also, the king of the north shall come to the kingdom of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. However, his son shall stir up strife and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through. Then he shall return to his fortress, and stir up strength. And the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with them, with the king of the north, who shall muster a great multitude. But the multitude shall be given into the hand of his enemy. When he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up and he will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. For the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former, and shall certainly come at the end of some years with a great army and much. Now, in those times, many shall rise up against the king of the south. Also, violent men of your people shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fall. So the king of the north shall come and build a siege mount and take a fortified city. And the forces of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall shall have no strength to resist. But he who comes against him shall do according to his own will, and no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his power. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it. But she shall not stand with him or be with him. After this, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall take many. But a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end. And with the reproach removed, he shall turn back on him. Then he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, And but not in anger or in battle. And in his place shall arise a vile person, to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in, peace, come in peaceably. And seize the kingdom by entry. With the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken. And also the prince of the covenants. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully. For he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably, enter into the richest places of the province. And he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunders, spoil, and riches. And he shall devise his plans against the strongholds but only for a time. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yet those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Both these kings, but both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil. And they shall speak lies at the same table, but it shall not prosper. For the end will still be at the appointed time. While returning to this his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant. So he shall sow damage and return to his own land. At the appointed time he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved and return rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. And forces shall be mustered by him. And they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifice and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help. But many shall join join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, And make them white, until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the god of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all, but in their place he shall honor a god of fortress and a god which his father did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortress with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. At that time, sorry, at the time of the end the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him, like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall enter into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels, but news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many, and he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. The Lord in the word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is true and that it provides us with hope in you and your goodness to us. We pray that you would use these truths to encourage us. Hand in the past. (coughs) Remember, that while we look at these events as demonstrations of God's sovereign hand in the past, for Daniel, this was all prophecy. It was something that was in the future, uh, something that he just had to simply see and hear God tell him and say, Okay, I will trust you. I will live by faith, God. And so um, as the prophecy starts, I'm going to try and reference verse numbers just because of the vast amount of information and not read every verse that we go through, but I'll let you know what verse I'm kind of talking about as we go. Uh, just because there's so much, if I read every verse again, uh, we'll be here till at least eleven fifteen. Uh, so, God knew that Xerxes would grow in wealth and awaken the, the Greek Empire. And this is really what's being described in verse 2. And so he talks about multiple kings are going to come up that are after the ones that Daniel currently knows. And he says that one of these is going to grow wealthy. And as he grows wealthy, he's going to attack the Greek empire. And this is exactly what Xerxes does. He grows wealthy. And as he grows wealthy, he's like, you know what? There are more lands for me to conquer. I have money, resources available to hire the troops to get the equipment that I need so I'm going to do that. And so he marches up to attack them, and as he does that, he fails in his endeavors. He fails, and his uh, kingdom then is severely weakened as a result of that. And God knows that what the results are going to be. As a result of this weakened Persian empire, God knew that Alexander's kingdom, the kingdom of the Greeks, would fracture into four kingdoms. So... um, as a result of this king attacking the Greek empire, his empire becomes weakened. And eventually, the Greek empire unites under Alexander. And it takes over the vast majority of the known world in a very short period of time. Alexander conquers the known world. And very quickly afterwards, he dies. And because he has no um, old son and nobody who's he's appointed, because he's a fairly young man, um, to take over for him what happens is the kingdom that he's built immediately fractures into four parts and that's what's being described in this same verse I think it's verse 3 uh, that's described with this and so the kings of the south and the kings of the north are two of the four Greek kingdoms and he's going to use the king of the south and the king of the north primarily as uh, those are the nations that are directly going to affect the future of the nation of Israel And so he's going to describe various events that have already taken place, events that took place before the life of Christ, and he's going to use the king of the north and the king of the south. Uh, The king of the north is the Seleucid Empire, and the king of the south is the Ptolemaic Empire. Uh, We're going to be using those terms a lot. I will try to um, help you stay up to date, but there's so much information, Um, Seleucid is north, Ptolemaic. The south. Uh, You might want to write that down just so you have it kind of um, that you can look back on as we race through all this material. But um, so he describes these two kingdoms, and these two kingdoms are going to be two kingdoms who are just at war constantly for generations. And so in verse 5, Ptolemy is the leader of the kingdom in what's kind of modern day Egypt, plus a little bit extra, probably. Um, into Palestine, most of Israel is under his reign, if not all of Israel. And so that's kind of where he is. And one of the generals from another part of the Greek kingdom comes to him for protection. He allows him to serve under his command. And what happens is he actually gains power. And as he is in that position, he actually becomes king of his own kingdom. And he forms the Seleucid Empire. So verse 5 is describing that going to use the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south language. These two kingdoms, though, uh, as you can imagine from just the very start of them, uh, the one guy is supposed to be the guy who's underneath him. He goes and he forms his own kingdom. There's bad blood and there's infighting from the very start of these kingdoms. And so verse 6 continues to describe that. But Ptolemy, the king from uh, the south, uh, decides that he's going to try and um, give his daughter Bernice uh, to the king of the north as a uh, wife, so that there is this, you know, healed relationship. And what happens is Bernice marries Antiochus, and Antiochus is already married. And so you can imagine how this goes. Antiochus's first wife does not like Bernice, and so she ends up murdering Antiochus and Bernice and the child. And so there's no peace. So that's what verse six is describing. Uh, verses seven and eight describe the retaliation so you can imagine um, the Seleucid Empire's daughter has been uh, killed and so the Seleucid Empire is upset and so they respond in fury and rage and they attack and they enter into this five-year-long war he is successful in uh, uh, attacking the Northern Empire and he brings back a lot of gold and you'll see that recorded in verses 7 and 8 The Seleucid um, attempt to retaliate uh, then fails. So the kingdom of the north decides to attack the king of the south, and as he does that, he fails. And then verse uh, 10 describes how um, the Seleucid empire have strife among them, and the sons have strife, and there's uh,
1: brothers killing brothers,
0: and Antiochus III, or Antiochus the Great, ultimately becomes Uh, And so the king of the north, under Antiochus, goes and he attacks the king of the south. And that's recorded in verse 10. And so as he attacks the king of the south, he's successful, he wins a great victory. Verse 11 records that for us. And as he wins this great victory, he grows prideful. Verse 12 talks about how he grows in pride. And as he grows in pride, when he has taken away, the multitude his heart will be lifted up and he will cast down tens of thousands. But notice, he does not prevail. He wins this great, marvelous victory. And even though he's won this great, marvelous victory, he still fails. And so God is allowing the Seleucid Empire to gain dominance despite their evil practices. So the Ptolemaic Empire... of the king of the south. Um, They've won this great victory, and yet the king of the north is going to come through in verse 13 and following, and he's going to take over. Notice, for the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former, and shall certainly come at the end of some years with a great army and much equipment. So uh, the Ptolemaic empire, that looked like they are going to be successful, ends up not being as successful. They're still alive, there's going to be continual fighting uh, for a great portion of the rest of the chapter 11. Uh, but the idea is that the balance of power has been permanently changed. And the Seleucid Empire is going to be the more powerful empire. Sorry, I'm not supposed to turn yet. Yeah. So uh, verse 14, the Israelites are going to seek to cast off the Ptolemaic Empire because that's who's still ruling them. And as they do that, uh, their all efforts are ultimately going to be unsuccessful because a Greek general is going to come in. Verse 14 and 15 record this. And he's going to um, demolish their rebellion against the Ptolemaic Empire. But then the king of the north is going to come in and kill that Greek general as well. So Antiochus Great is going to take control of the glorious land. That's what happens here as he comes in and he squelches this um, rebellion squelching army. Uh, He's like, well, since I've come in and I've defeated the armies of the Ptolemaic Empire that are here, I'm going to take over. So he takes over the area. And God um, allows him to take control and to have this position. And so the Seleucid Empire, the king of the north, is like, I'm going to seek peace. And so how does he do that? Verse 17 tells us that he gives his... uh, He gives Cleopatra to the Ptolemaic king, and what happens? Cleopatra actually sides with the Ptolemaics, and she does not choose to side with um, the king of the Seleucid Empire. And and so uh, his attempts there are foiled, and he's growing um, arrogant, and as he grows arrogant, uh, and his attempts... Uh, to gain more territory, he decides to attack the Roman Empire. And when he attacks the Roman Empire, he's defeated in battle, and he's made to give them tributes. And so this becomes an issue because he doesn't have the resources to continually pay the Roman Empire the tribute that he's demanded. And so as he's looking for tribute, verse 19 talks about his efforts to find tributes, then he shall return. Turn his face toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. He, he actually goes to a temple in his own land to try and seize the resources of that temple and take those resources and pay the tribute, and the people of that community rise up and they kill him. And so all of a sudden, once again, there's strife in the kingdom, and what happens is um, that. guy comes, and he takes position, and he's poisoned, and then Antiochus IV, or Antiochus Epiphanes, takes the throne, and he sees that the Seleucid Empire is currently weak, um, or the Ptolemaic Empire, the king of the south, sees that the king of the north is weak in verses 22 and 23, and so he then raids, but the empire is not as weak as he estimates them to be, and as a result, uh, his efforts are defeated. He's actually captured and taken as a prisoner So um, verses 25 to 26 go back and describe in greater detail uh, the battle that's described in verse 22. But God's going to bring an end to all of this in his appointed time. And that's the idea that's being communicated in verse uh, 27, I believe it is. Both these kings and their hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table, but it shall not prosper for the end will still be at the appointed time. And so, as he describes what is all prophetic to Daniel, what we look back and we can say, these are the historical events that fulfilled all these prophecies. Um, God is making the point that all this is occurring according to my timetable, And as we look back, we can say, wow, um, there is a lot of change of power, um, a lot of change of people who are in these different kingdoms, and as we look back, we can see how uh, God knew and has orchestrated all these events to occur just as he said they would. So God will bring an end to the political wrangling at his appointed time. This is the idea that he's constantly uh, coming back to Antiochus then uh, realizes uh, his lack of control, and he desecrates the kingdom because uh, he, he tries to attack the, the southern kingdom. And as he tries to attack the southern kingdom, he's unsuccessful. Um, He's unsuccessful. Um, Sorry, let me read. I think it's verse 29. At the appointed time, he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and be damaged. And so uh, he's probably remembering his dad. Tiochus III, who, when he uh, decided to attack the Romans, he was defeated and caused to pay tribute to them. And so he's marching against the King of the South. He's going to try to raid the Ptolemaics again. And as he goes down, uh, Roman generals intervene, and according to history, they draw a circle around where he's standing and say, uh, when you leave the circle, you have to decide what you're doing. Are you attacking them? If so, we're attacking you, or if you want, you can go home. He leaves the circle and decides to go home. But he is a very angry person. And so as he leaves, he goes and he attacks the nation of Israel. He once again loots their temple. And then um, (coughs) verse uh, 30b is still describing that event. Um, So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. And so he's, he's constantly coming back and he's destroying them, but the idea is this is all part of God's appointed time. Nothing's taking place out of God's uh, ability to control and ability of God's uh, knowing what's going to happen and controlling what's going to happen. And so much of Israel's worship is completely changed in verse 31. You see the daily sacrifices are taken away, the abomination of desolation is brought in. And the idea is that the way people are supposed to worship is not possible. And yet, in the midst of all this, uh, he's seeking to entice them from following the Lord. Some of them, in verse 32 and 33, are going to continue to follow the Lord. And God knew this. And he knew that he would care for those who choose to do those. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall be, shall by sword and flame, a captivity and plundering. And so they're going to face persecution. They're going to face hardship, but it's all according to God's plan. It's part of what He's orchestrated, and He knew would take place. And as the Jewish rebellion continues, in verse 34, He says, "Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a great, with a little help, but many shall join." With them by entry and, and what he's describing here is the Macca- maccabees and they rise up against antiochus and as they rise up many of them are killed thousands and thousands of them are killed but as they continue to stand for and follow in obedience to god um the rest of the jewish community around them looks at them and goes they think they might end up being successful in their revol- revolt against antiochus and so while we are the people who are pursuing the flattering words of Antiochus, at this point, the political scheme seems to have shifted, and so we're going to uh, shift as well. You know, they're, they're the people that change the team that they cheer for uh, when game day looks bad. That's kind of the idea that's being described. And, and as a result of their shift in allegiance, um, ultimately, God delivers them from Antiochus' power. And so that's what's being described. And all this he's saying is part of God's plan. So God will allow some of his faithful servants to die, but his plan of defeating Antiochus Epiphanes will not be changed. You can see this in verse 35. And some of those, will under, some of, those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. So as you go through the text numerous times, as he makes these prophecies, he's saying, is an appointed time. There is a time for all these things to take place. Nothing's outside of God's um, ability to control and to make sure it happens as he says it will. So God's sovereign hand Then in the future. Verse 35 is a big shifting point. Um, The language changes, you'll notice. Instead of referring to the king as the king of the north, it just refers to him as the king. It doesn't refer to him as the king south just says the king and so there's this huge shift this is actually a shift that's over 2,000 years it's close to like 2,150 years and the big clue to that is the change in the character's name God begins to reveal His plan for the final attacks on his people before he establishes the millennial kingdom and this change of character is evident through the change of vocabulary that I mentioned he's no longer called the king of the north or the king of the south he's called simply King. In addition, you can't find any of these events fulfilled in prophetic events. They are all future. And, and the fact that we can look back and we can say, all the way from chapter eleven, verse two through verse thirty-five, uh, there are so many people and so many events. Like literally, we just scratched the bare surface. And so some of you are like, we probably should have done that. Um, but it, it's it's necessary for you to see that. These events have taken place. Uh, There's books and books and books that you can read about all these events. But the idea is, if all these things that he said would take place, then what he says will take place will also take place. God's promises are certain. And so what does he say is coming in the future? He says that there's going to be a character who arises who will have a vile character, and he's going to reject God. Then the king, that shall, do, the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. shall speak blasphemies. So this guy is self-sufficient. He's exalting himself. He's magnifying himself. He's doing his own will. He doesn't see a need for God. He doesn't see a need for anybody else. He's self-sufficient. But not only that, you see, he's rejecting God, and he, he rejects God by blaspheming the blaspheming God uh, but even this blasphemy has a time period it has an end right? it's not that he can just do this for forever the verse tells us and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done there is a limit to how much he can blaspheme God to how much his vile evil character his self-sufficiency will last he has a limit. He goes on in verses uh, 37 and 38, and he describes in greater detail who he is and his views of God. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. The phrase of the desire of women is very contested. Um, probably my favorites uh, is probably to say somehow it's a reference to the Messiah. Uh, that uh, the desire of women was uh, that they would have the Messiah. So he does not regard the Messiah. He does not regard Christ. Uh, other people have different interpretations. I don't think it refers to physical women and, and sexual desire or something like that. The whole context is talking about his view of God. You'll notice that right after that, nor regard any God. The whole context is talking about God. So he's, he's referencing somehow this rejection of um, deity. He's Rejecting uh, the fact that there's a God. He's saying that he's much an atheist of some sort. Nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all, but in their place he shall honor a God of fortress, and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor him with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest for fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance his glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain.
1: So he's going to have this
0: vile character. He's going to be militarily very strong. But if you remember um, what verse, I think it's 36, says, um, has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. There is a time limit. There is a limit to how much he can do. I believe that this passage is describing the Antichrist. And he's saying that this guy is going to do lots of evil. Going to reject God, he's going to promote himself um, above God, and yet there is a limit. His he, vile character and his rejection of God are one thing, but now he goes on to describe just the wars that are going to take place under him. And he does this in super rapid fire, um, lots and lots of information all at once. But he says, uh, God sees his evil and will judge him. Many will rise against his power, but their human power will not be enough to defeat him. Why? Because um, it's up to God to defeat him when God wants to defeat him. And so, verse 40, at the time of the end, the king of the south, I don't think that this is the same king of the south. I think it's some king in the south, possibly attached to, or in the same geographical area that the king of the south previously was mentioned is from. But I don't think it's referring to that same king. And the king of the north are both going to attack him, and he's going to defeat them. In verse forty-one, he shall also enter the glorious land. So he's going to enter into Israel, and he shall be and um, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape. So there's some countries that are not going to be affected. The idea is the vast majority of the world will be seriously affected by his his um, military endeavors. So Edom, Moab, the prominent people of Ammon are going to be kept away. But he's going to stretch out his hands against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold, and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. And then in verse uh, 44, there's news of other people that are making him concerned, and what does he do? He rises up and he fights against them, and he defeats them as well. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help when God says it's time for his reign, the reign of the Antichrist, to be over, no one will help him. No one can help him. The idea. And so he's going to be defeated. He will establish himself in the Holy Land, but in the appointed time of destruction, when the appointed time of destruction comes, he will be defeated by the King of the Kings. Uh, this is this is the same idea that we saw earlier in um, Daniel chapter 7, verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking, I believe um, referencing this same guy. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. But the courts will convene, and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the most high. His kingdom will be an everlasting all rulers will serve and obey him. The Messiah will come to reign after this. Jesus will reign in his kingdom. And so now he moves away from describing all the terrible, horrible things that are going to come upon the nation of Israel. If you remember in Daniel chapter 10, uh, Daniel's concern is what's going to happen to my country? What's going to happen to my people? And God's answer is it's going to be really bad. It's going to be really bad for a long time. Uh, but, at the appointed time, I will come, and I will establish my kingdom. And you, Daniel, need not fear, because you can trust me. And you and I can look at this passage, and we can see all the things that have already taken place. And you and I need not fear, because we can look back at history and say, these are all the demonstrations of God's past faithfulness, the recorded events of 36 Through 45 are scary yes they are but in the midst of all that we know that at the appointed time God will overthrow the Antichrist in addition we also believe from other passages that are not specifically referenced here that we as believers will not be on the earth during these events which is another reason for great rejoicing in the saving work of our God from the wrath that is to come God wins, and he will reward his people. And you see this really in verses uh, 1 through 3 of chapter 12. Uh, Michael is watching God's people in verse 1, and as he watches over God's people, he's caring for them. He's ensuring that God's plan is taken care of. Uh, And there's going to be a time of trouble, and it's going to affect the nation, even to that time. Nothing was going to affect it to that extent. But what's going to happen? And at that time, your people Shall be delivered, and every one oh. will found written in the book. Daniel's main concern is, God, what's going to happen to the nation of Israel? You've made promises to us to David. You've made promises to us through Abraham. You've made promises to us through Moses. What's going to happen to these promises? Are you a God we can trust? Will you fulfill your promises? And the angel comes and says to him, And at that time, your people shall be delivered, and everyone who is found written in the book. The answer is, Yes, I will fulfill my promises. Yes, I will be true to who I am. I will be a good, faithful God. But Daniel, it's going to be a long way because the appointed time is. And we still long for and wait for the day when God comes and he fulfills those promises to the nation of Israel. But he goes on and he describes then um, the fact that there will be a resurrection. And the fact that there is a resurrection uh, points to the fact that there is further purpose for you and I. He says that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame. see, the fact that God rewards his people does not mean that he's going to necessarily be rewarding you. Because everybody will be resurrected. But only some will go to everlasting life. And some will go to everlasting content. And if you want to be found written in the book of life, then you need to receive the gift of Jesus Christ that was accomplished on the cross. God so loved the world having no desire to condemn the world he sent his son Jesus into the world to pay for your sins so that faith in him could save you from the punishment that you deserve but if you fail to reject that you are condemned already and then the purpose for which he created you to be an image bearer and to portray his glory throughout eternity will not be purpose will not be fulfilled. If you remember as he talks about the Maccabees he says that some of them um, die and as they die there's a there's a purpose in it in verse 35 and some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them purify them and make them white until the time of the end because it is still for the appointed time. that's what he's describing here. he's going to resurrect them and he's going to allow them, to be people who portray his glory. How does he do that? Verse 33. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those people who lived righteous lives during Antiochus and who stood up to his flattering words and said, no, we are going to pursue worshiping the Lord as we can. Yes, you have desecrated the temple, and some of the things we're supposed to do we can't do but to the extent that we can follow God, we're going to follow God wholeheartedly. and We're going to obey Him, and we're going to teach others to obey Him. Those people are going to receive this reward. Those people are going to shine like the brightness of the firmament. Not portraying their own greatness, not shining as the stars forever and ever, portraying how great they are. No, but portraying the greatness of their God who fulfills His promises to them portraying the greatness of their God who knows all things, portraying the greatness of their God who accomplishes what he sets out to accomplish. And you and I also have the opportunity to either choose to follow him, to receive his son's gift, and one day be people who can portray his glory throughout eternity
1: be recipients of his
0: abundant, rich mercies, or we can choose to spend eternity in a place of contempt and eternal punishment. And and the text is pointing us and urging us to see the goodness of God, to rejoice in the goodness of God, and if we've chosen at this point to reject his free offer of goodness, then it's To him and to repent and to receive Christ. As you think about application for the text, God, as revealed in Scripture, is the one true God. It's one of the things that the text is teaching us. That God is the only God. All these other people have their gods. They all worship their gods, give or take, to the way that they are supposed to. But their gods were not able to prophesy and foretell the future. But our God thousands of years ahead of time was able to say exactly what would happen, when it would happen, and has told us what's coming in the future. God is true God. God knows the future and so we rejoice in him. We rejoice knowing that what is in our lives and what will come in our lives is not something that is outside of his sovereign control. he's using it for his honor and for his glory and for our good. God controls the future, so we trust him. We don't simply go through life knowing that he is sovereign and then say, you know, but I wish my life were different in this way or that way. Well, you may wish it was, but what you and I are called upon to do is to trust him through those difficulties, to trust him through those hardships. The scriptures are trustworthy. Where do we learn about the character of God? We learn about the character of God through Scripture. Does your life pattern, does my life pattern, demonstrate that I believe in the trustworthiness of Scripture by how I rely upon Scripture? When trials come, what do I think about? Do I think about how I'm going to physically find a solution to my own effort like Antiochus does? like the king who is to come and is going to? He's self-sufficient. Or does my heart turn to the trustworthy guidance of Scripture? Am I looking for that trustworthy guidance when there's not trials? God wants us to rely upon his word and to turn to it. And then this life is the worst it will ever be for those who are followers of Christ. And, And the text describes it as really quite bad. This is the worst it gets. It's right here in this life. After this is immense, unmeasurable richness of grace abounding from your good Father. And as a result, we can rejoice knowing that His desire for us is not to cast us aside or forget us. Rather, His desire is that, as verse 2 says, He is going to raise us up to Awake to everlasting life, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see, God's purpose in making you was that you would bear His image, and His purpose for you throughout eternity is that you would portray His image, The people would look at you and they wouldn't see you would say, oh my, what a great God who can accomplish all the events that go into your individual life and as a result have an opportunity through you to portray the faithfulness, the love, and the exceeding abundant knowledge of our God to those around you in heaven. Who will also be doing the exact same thing, portraying his faithfulness, portraying his and so there's a lot of cause for rejoicing, but there's also a cause for you and i they call for you and I to examine our lives and say, Are those characteristics mine? Am I somebody who is pursuing wisdom? Am I somebody who is giving wisdom? Am I helping point many people to righteousness? Let's go to the Lord in order prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is true is faithful, and that you use it to convict us, use it to shape us, use it to uh, remind us and help us to know you better so we can rejoice in you and trust you and love you. We pray that as uh, we reflected on your character, uh, we reflected upon your plan for future events and past events, that that would be the uh, result, that we would know you better, we would love you better, we would pursue you and trust you.